You are listening to The Forecast, Season 1, Episode 20. Nothing here to see, just a kill out me, trying to cuss and see, trying to figure it out. James Milner again with a set play. A flick on from Lucas. Big chance for Firmino. And what a time to score it as well. Into injury time at the end of the first half. Firmino. Origi likes this position. Curls just wide of the post. Nathaniel Klein, it's a good play from Gini Wijnaldum as well. He finds Firmino. Big chance this for James Milner. Should really have been 2-0. Lucas. That's the run of Firmino as he sized up the ball into the box and the offside flag goes up. Phillips gets a spin of fortune. Rondon manages to turn Joel Matip and all of a sudden it looks encouraging for West Bromwich Albion. Phillips in a decent position and again it's Simon Miele to the rescue. Phillips with the floater towards that back post. It's the Liverpool goalkeeper who has a key involvement. Roberto Moreno gives chase. Could this be the moment for Liverpool to end the game? He's got a run from Emre Can on his right-hand side. And he's gone for glory as Alberto Moreno. And we're back with the forecast. This is show number 20. Yes, 2-0. Uh, thank you for joining us on this show. Uh, the forecast is the official podcast of four. Uh, if you haven't already been on the site, that's uh, www.foresite. That's F-O-A-R-S-I-T-E dot com. We are a great community of Reds from all over the world. Uh, and on the site we have lots of news, opinions, and lots and lots of opinions, comments. Yeah, so yeah, if you make a comment on our site, um, guess what? Someone actually replies. So it's a good place to hang out, uh, meet fellow Reds, and um, yeah, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a great place to be. Uh, thank you for joining us on the show. Thank you for our guests that are on the show uh, tonight, and uh, that's uh, Vez, Keith, Christian and Will. Did I miss out anyone? No, I didn't miss out nope. anyone. Nope. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, uh, Eric is not uh, available for this uh, for this show. Uh, Jason is not available for this show. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, have a, we'll have a good time uh, nonetheless. So it's, it, was a, it was a good win over the weekend against West Bromwich. Um, and uh, it was a hard-fought victory. Uh, as well, um, and we did it uh, with guts, and we did it uh, playing in a way that perhaps uh, not necessarily typical of um, the all-out guns blazing um, Liverpool way. 
Um, Will, I, I, uh, I watched your uh, post-match reactions to, to the game and uh, you, you touched on uh, some of these points. Uh, perhaps you just want quick, to quickly run through some of those uh, observations again? Well, yeah, I think the general impression that we got from the game was that Jurgen Klopp was happy to swallow his pride. And whereas previously we've come up against these so-called smaller teams and teams that we thought would be difficult to break down and he's stuck to his guns, he's stuck to this sort of high-pressure, playing high-up-the-pitch approach. Mm-hmm. In this game, he sort of acknowledged, as he sort of did as well against Stoke, that he was going to have to change his approach. And while it didn't necessarily work against Stoke, I think the three-at-the-back approach just wasn't quite what suited the players that we've got at the moment and what we needed to break down a team like Stoke. I think what we did against West Brom was fantastic because while it wasn't good to watch, it wasn't particularly entertaining at times, it was very pragmatic and very clever. And we just sort of sat deep and put a lot less pressure on them and invited them out a little bit more and also played very patient, very clever football in general and just looked to win the game without any flashiness or entertainment and just come away with the three points. And like I said in the video, you know, as fans, we do like to see Liverpool play well, but at this stage in the season, it is all about getting three points every week. And that looks like what we're setting out to do. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think it was a tale of two halves? Do you think it was a Jekyll and Hyde kind of story in the game? Or do you think it was kind of a consistent uh, 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 performance level uh, in both halves, uh, Vess? Well, I'd uh, say it was more of a consistent performance throughout the game. Uh, we played well. We uh, we know how West Brom like to play. So they will close down the space. They will defend in numbers. Uh, they will get physical in defense and midfield. They will go with long balls forward, try to win a set piece. Mm-hmm. And uh, we managed to to put up a good fight uh, playing their game we were strong in midfield uh we actually scored against them from a set piece (laughs) (laughs) so yeah we we beat them at their own game uh apart from from one or two maybe shaky moments from our defenders they didn't really create anything they did they didn't they, they couldn't come at us and, and outplay us and score. And I think it was a very, very good win overall. And in your match report, you said basically, um, you started off by saying uh, Klopp abandoned his three-at-the-back experiment from the previous match and went back to the usual 4-3-3. Um, you think this was a significant uh, uh, change that he made from, from the start? Yeah, uh, personally, I believe that such such changes, such formational changes, where you switch, uh, you change the number of, of defenders on the pitch, requires uh, work, a lot of work in training and preparing your, your uh, players for such a scenario. And uh, just changing it from one week to the other, you need luck mm. for it to work. You need maybe players that are experienced at it, and stuff like that, but but I think it needs to be you know worked on properly. Okay, um, Keith, uh, who were some of the standout uh, performers uh, for you? Listen, let's face it: playing West Bromwich Albion, it's a horrible game. Uh, you know, you get more enjoyment obviously watching paint dry. Yeah. Any person more loathsome than Pulis, <laughs> the way he sets up a team, is Fat Sam, um, and. Any, any, 
any time you come away with three points, you're just really, really happy. I think uh, having Origi as a physical presence and the sitting deep made a massive difference. Mm-hmm. I don't. In terms of a scrappy uh, uh, win, we actually thought we should have won this quite comfortably. I don't know what Milner was thinking, why he wanted to do, uh, volley it. Um, I think if he used his head, it would have been a comfortable 2-0 win all the way through. West Brom gave nothing until they started to come out in the, towards the end of the second half, the last 10 minutes, and actually decided you know, they actually might need to score. The standout performance for me was Mignolet. I mean, he's been given a hell of a lot of flack, rightly so last year, because he probably cost us about 13 points. This year, I think he's been great. Um, yeah, there's one or two mistakes, but which goalkeeper doesn't have a mistake throughout a long Prem season? Um, I think he's saved us over the last two games, and his game has come on tremendously this year. He seems his confidence, he's commanding the area. When West Brom were bombing uh, balls into the box, he actually came out and punched it away. So he was, for me, man of the match. He saved us, literally saved us, because we didn't take the chances that we should have taken. Our midfield was superb, again. Uh, Chan, Vinaldum, they held it together. It was great. Lucas shielding the, the back four was great. I thought the centre-backs were outstanding with the physical physicality of the West Brom team. And then, uh, you know... Firmino does what Firmino did, and, and, and Origi. Uh, and, you know, I don't think there was a bad, bad uh, player in the Liverpool side. I thought maybe Milner and Klein were were were, were average again for me. Mm-hmm. But uh, great team performance, three points, which was the critical thing, and onward and upwards we move. Great, um, and I and I promise this time we will talk about Mignolet. We we didn't get a chance to talk about him in the last show because we just ran out of time. But uh, we'll we'll cover uh, a little bit about him later in the show. Um, who who do you th- which miss do you think was worse, uh, James Milner or Moreno? Oh no, there was no doubt Milner. Moreno was in in, in, in injury time. So, you know, there was a couple of minutes after that. Yeah, he should have taken it, or he should have passed. But, you know, hot-headed, hasn't had much game time, wanted to make an impact. But Milner's one was the critical one. If if Milner had come into the box uh, with a little bit more speed and purpose, he could have got that on the head and he could have buried it and we would have been comfortable 2-0 up and, and that would have been it. Okay, okay. Now, uh, Christian, how uh, do, do you see us now um, winning this psychological attitude battle? I mean, you've you've mentioned it on several shows now, um, <laughs> and and several times, especially when um, not necessarily when we've lost, uh, even even in games where we've won or drawn, uh, or in certain phases of play, um, you've uh, you've mentioned this thing about um, attitude um, or perhaps their psychological approach uh, to the game or to the opponent or to a specific situation or moment in the game, uh, which then led to something. How do you see this now um, uh, being addressed through the performances, uh, well, not just against uh, uh, West Bromwich, but also against uh, Stoke? Yes, those three halves. Second half against Stoke and winning the game, finally, and um, convincingly. And the whole West Brom game, I mean, the whole thing seems to be a huge confidence boost for all the team. And um, yes, 
I think we are winning this psychological battle. Um, it seems to be a huge difference. The, the, that, that team, how it played against West Brom, they were they showed very good composure. Um, I don't know if any any one of you has probably um, got the same impression that that Klopp has probably given up on most of the the gegen pressing thing to play a more def defensive approach, more relaxed, waiting for the opponent teams to make mistakes and then use the superior skills of our attacking players to make the best of it and, and uh, score, finally, somehow. Um, I think the whole team has, has been lifted, somehow. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I'm absolutely positive about that. We are not... I mean, this is just one step forward. We will still, we will still be facing a lot of setbacks. Yeah. Um, over the next couple of years and a lot of challenges but uh, this is a was a big step forward for the team confidence uh, Klopp has so desperate been um, in working about working yeah. on <clears throat> and you you've um, you've mentioned a point there that uh, just leads naturally to the next point about uh, you know uh, so-called um, moving away from the the Gergen pressing style and have a more relaxed approach and Coming back again to you, uh, Will, again, in your post-match reactions, you said that, uh, you know, we're, we're much more relaxed instead of pressing uh, the opponent, you know, for the ball at every moment. Um, we're just looking for the right opportunity to press and, you know, uh, it's, you know and, and letting them have some of the possessions, uh, uh, so to speak, and then looking for the right opportunity to, to counter in a way. It's not really a counter-attacking style as well, but it's just really looking for the right moments to, to do what we do uh, do best. Um, how do you see this in comparison to, say, um, changing tactics, changing formations, which is also a different thing uh, that uh, Klopp tried to do? Um, and of course, we, we said, okay, uh, the three at the back thing is, has so-called, okay, not worked. Okay, that, so that's put aside. Let's try something else. So, how 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 is this this tweaks and is he finding the right balance now? Do you think, Will? I think definitely for these these games against the smaller teams, I think it's the right way to go forward. Is playing this sort of slightly less high pressure style, and I think from here on in, and probably for another few years from now on, I think that's probably going to be how it is. I think we'll have this kind of game plan for games against teams that we expect to sit back more and then we'll see that sort of high pressure gig and press return in maybe European matches and games against the rest of the top six but I think it certainly seems to be working better than any other kind of tactical change yep. I think it's better than maybe switching to a back three or putting different players in and out of the starting 11 because uh, for one thing I think it's not what for now I think the reason that it works is because it's not what the opposition expect from a Jurgen Klopp side Yep. I think West Brom, maybe what the reason that they got caught out in that game was because Tony Pullis, you know, as much as we don't like him and we don't like his style of football, you have to admit that he is good at putting a game plan together and setting out a team with the specific in intent of counteracting, counteracting the way that the other team plays. So he probably will have got put a lot of effort into preparing his team to come up against that Liverpool high-press, gegenpress style of play. So the fact that we sort of second-guessed them in that way and decided to play in a different way that meant that they'd have to come out and play in a way that they weren't expecting to play, I think is a clever move from Jurgen Klopp. So whether or not it's something that we can sustain for the rest of the season and beyond and carry on playing like that, I'd be interested to see and whether in the summer he brings in players that specifically suit that system. But for now, 
I think that's probably the way we're going to play for the rest of the season because we're going to have a lot more games like the one against West Brom between now and the end of the season because they are all against these so-called smaller teams. Yeah. And with the way that that was so successful against West Brom, I think that is the way forward between now and mid-May. Yeah, I agree with that. I think um, this is, I think, personally, personally, I think this is a better approach because, uh, and I think I was saying sometime earlier in the season that, you know, some of these teams that sit back and with the two two banks of defensive players, uh, you know, and we have so much possession, we have so much hold of the ball, um, and somehow we still come off uh, losing the game or not coming off with the desired result. And, uh, you know, why not uh, let them have the ball? Hello? And, uh, oh. Hello. Who's just joined us? Sorry. Mental. Uh, it's... Uh, Mental, yeah. Sick hey, back. hello, 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 hello. Welcome, welcome to the show. Hi. Um, sorry, <laughs> let me just finish this point. So, you know, trying to place, um, how, how you say, uh, smartly, you know, letting them have more of the ball and choosing the right opportunities, to me, in my mind, seems to be the, the, the way to go. And he's going to have a chance to refine it in, in, the, in, the, in the business end with the, with, the, with the remaining games and see that, okay, this is really perhaps um, a, a, a plausible uh, or the best way of, uh, of playing against uh, uh, these teams uh, and get a result, positive result for us. Um, Vez, you, uh, you had a different man of the match. I know Keith said his man of the match was uh, Simon Mignolet. Uh, you seem to have uh, gone on the side of the guy who won the game rather than uh, prevented uh, a draw. You you went well, for Firmino. So how would you how, how do you see uh, Ro, uh, Roberto Firmino's performance in this game? I think he was fantastic. He was doing exactly what he does best. He was creating space. He was making those trademark mark, uh, runs down channels that he's so good at doing. He always got open, created space for others, and and eventually, yeah, he was there to score that goal. To, to take advantage of the West Bromwich defense falling asleep. And uh, I'd just like to add that uh, it was the one that I personally thought perhaps wouldn't start the game. Mm-hmm. Because there was some talk about him not being 100% fit before the game. Yeah. There were some pictures of him in training with uh, the fitness coach, Hornmeyer, is it? Uh, yeah, yep. And uh, away from from the team, not not training with the team. Yeah. So I thought there was something in it, and that perhaps he wouldn't start the game like like it was against Stoke, that he would perhaps come on for the second half. Yeah. But he played the full ninety, and he was just a machine. <coughs> he was he was ruthless. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And you 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 said that it it was. Uh it harkens back to his um, early season performance. He was pressing, yeah. uh, pressing the, the, the opposition player with the ball. He was har- harassing them, harrying them. And this is classic Firmino, really exactly. classic Firmino. I think I saw uh, an image um, uh, where this guy did a graphic, uh, you know, and uh, it had like, uh, you know, Mr. Smith from, from uh, the Matrix series, right? So he had, he had cloned uh, a, a Firmino across the graphic uh, with, 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 a, th- uh, with, a, with a, uh, 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 a bubble that said, uh, you know, are you trying to pass, uh, p- 
pass forward or, or pass backward or something like that. And he's there to anticipate it and he's there to... to play out the back. Yeah, play out the back. That's right. And he's ready to, to nick the ball. Um, and, and this is what he's, he's so good at doing, not just at Liverpool. I mean, this is what he's, he, he was always good at doing. Uh, and he was doing that. Yeah. Do you guys, yes. I just want to ask the panel here if they, if they agree with me. Obviously, the Gagan pressing is a, is a hallmark of Klopp. But when you have over 70% possession, Gagan pressing does not stick, uh, sit in your face when you have so much possession. Secondly, in the beginning of the season, we had that aberration against Bournemouth where we lost. But we seemed to find a way to beat the lower half of the, uh, of the draw, if you want to want, to, want of a better word. When we, the games came thick and fast, uh, two games a week, uh, and in the, the January period, we seemed to struggle because we didn't have that energy, we didn't have that fitness uh, or, or squad rotation or squad depth to be able to cope with two games a week. Now we're back to one game a week. We seem to be clicking back into a rhythm and getting and, and, and working out ways to, to beat these teams. Uh, do you think that's more relevant than saying that we actually found a way to, to play against these teams? I think there is, uh, I think that is part of it. And that is one of the reasons that I'm hoping that we do. Obviously, I think we're talking about transfers later on this show, but I think one of the things we do need to focus on is squad depth because we haven't, I don't think we've lost a single game this season when we haven't had a midweek match. So there is obviously that aspect of fatigue and everything. But I think one of the main things as well with playing against these so-called smaller teams is the fact that, they allow us a lot more of the ball and we talk about Jurgen Klopp's style being high pressing but one of the key things is that we need to allow the opposition the ball so that we can then force them into mistakes so obviously when we're playing against these top six sides that we perform so well against that's sort of natural you expect Man City and Arsenal to have a lot of the ball against us and we can press them into mistakes you don't really expect that from teams like West Brom and I think that's why we sat back a little bit more and let them have the ball so we could put the pressure on not just at the moments when they were making mistakes, but in general at the right times in games so that we could gather momentum in the right places. And do you think, do you think Origi, with his physical presence uh, and his hold-up play, makes a big difference against these, uh, these sort of teams? Uh, I, think, I think he's made a big difference playing against the Stokes, playing against the West Broms, and uh, again against Crystal Palace. I think he's, he's actually added a new dimension against these teams because of his physicality. I think that's also uh, been one of the success stories. I think uh, against Stoke, he, he wasn't receiving proper service. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, nobody was in the first half, let's face it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that's why his impact in that game was a bit less than, than in this one. But this weekend against West Brom, he was really fantastic. Mental, do you have anything uh, to add with regards to your views on the on the uh, West Bromwich game? Uh, how do you see it? How um, do you see it? Yeah. Just, uh, just on that last point, yeah, Klopp uh, was really pleased with uh, uh, Origi, wasn't he? He made a point of uh, saying he'd, he had a really good game. I, uh, it was it was a tough one because it's such a turgid game against West Brom. Yeah. It's sometimes it's difficult to judge whether he's done well or not because he, he engages in the physical battle, yeah. um, which you don't always see from Sturridge. But um, uh, you kind of sometimes seen it from Sturridge, right? Exactly. <laughs> um, but you, you're sort of looking for something a little bit more sometimes. He's he's still he's still uh, you know very very raw in his game, isn't he? 
his decision making isn't the best. Um, you know, he'll he'll. I, I think I said it on some of the match notes that he'll there'll be two shirts, two red shirts to the right, and he'll go left with the ball instead yeah. of just releasing it, <laughs> yeah. and then, and then going off and getting into position. So that's the kind of decision making he kind of needs to improve on. Um, he, he he comes deep, gets the ball, then he dwells on it a little bit. You know, and he does have that dribble in him. Yeah. You know, you remember the uh, Dortmund goal? I think he carried it and scored a really fantastic goal. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, yeah, his decision making has to improve. Um, and it's he's so up and down, isn't he? He's so goes from such extremes. His game in terms of his form. Yeah. Um, that you just don't know what to expect. Uh, I have no idea what to expect next season, for example. Um, and because uh, because you, you you almost have to say right. Forget about it for two seasons. Forget about any judgments on it for two seasons, and wait to see where he gets to. Because you just can't sort of pick pick how his development's going to go. I think he he has been here uh, for a long time, and and he plays a significant part for his national team in that World Cup in 2014. And uh, I think many of us forget just how young he is. And uh, all those things yeah. that you said, they, they are typical of young players. The, those, yeah. those huge dips in form and, and huge uplifts. And yeah, so I think he, yeah, it, it'll, it'll get more consistent with experience. Yeah, hopefully. Um, one of the things that bothered me early in the season was when he missed that penalty. In, in, it was in January, wasn't it? I, I don't think it affected the game in the end. But yeah, you've got Milner there cracking every single penalty, with, you know, 100% success rate. Uh, and then he goes and decides to do a different kind of penalty. And it's it's that kind of learning. It's like you've got a senior pro there who hits his penalties in a certain way and he gets every single one. Why wouldn't you try to copy that? Why wouldn't you mimic that? You know, you're 20, 21. Mm-hmm. You learn from it. Right, okay, he, he's brilliant at it. I'm going to do exactly that thing. And, uh, and I score it. And instead he tried to sort of take it in a very different way and, and he messed it up. So it's that kind of learning you want to see from him. I think you're either a natural penalty taker or you're not. Um, there's just some. I've seen some brilliant players, absolutely useless, uh, taking penalties. I think it's a it's a type of mentality that Gerard had it, uh, Alonso had it, uh, Milner's got it. Um, it's just it's just you either can take a good penalty or you can't. Yeah. Yeah. So if you if you can't copy the guy who's really good at it, and it just doesn't make it complicated, mm. right? Don't copy Balotelli. Copy Milner because he's, he's quite basic in what he does, and he does it every single time. So there's no mystery, if you like. So it's, it's kind of between his ears, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. He does have he he does have all the key attributes, doesn't he? I mean, he's physical, he's fast, uh, he has the power, uh, he holds up the ball really well, and yeah, it, he's got all the ingredients to be a really good. He's he's also technically, I think. Uh, quite good as well. Um, so, do you now see him um, as being a plan A or plan B? Do you build? Is this, is he a, is he a guy that you would okay okay we should start uh, Devok in the game or only bring him on when uh, you know plan A is not working? Because that's something that Devok uh, wants as well. I mean, he wants to start. Uh, he wants, he to, wants to play more. He wants yeah. to play more. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, it's a, it's a huge question. I, I, isn't it? Next next season, we'll have two games a week, yeah. and we will hopefully have more options to rotate. 
you know, another wide forward, another striker, um, and Origi, Origi's there. Um, so there's going to be more rotation. So you expect him to be playing once a week with that rotation. Uh, but again, his form is so up and down that it's, it's, it's kind of hard to predict, really. I think you're being unfair on Origi uh, because he scored five on the trot and then sat on the bench and lost his, his sharpness. <clears throat> if you don't have game time, you do get out of form. So I think, it's a, I think we're being overcritical on a youngster that uh, he's up and down. If you're coming off the bench every now and again, it's very difficult to remain uh, in, uh, as sharp as you need to be. And with Klopp's preferred setup with Firmino in the middle, he didn't have much opportunity because Mane, Firmino and Coutinho was his preferred choice. I think in future, Rigi is going to become really, really good. Um, he's already a good player right now and I think he's only going to get better he's going to be mentioned in the same name uh, same breath as a Lewandowski as a Abiyong uh, I, I think he's going to be that good and I think uh, Klopp will stick with him and I think Klopp will give him uh, quite a bit of uh, game time next season as well yeah he's been, he's yeah. been no good. yeah sorry Chris. Yeah, that's another that's another Another problem um, Origi, has, Origi has to cope with, um, Klopp had to change the team and the tactics time and again. And Origi, with his, his uh, say, role as a, as a sub, mostly, he, ha he always had to adapt to different tactics, different um, team setups. I, I think uh, we have to have patience with this, with this lad. Yeah. yeah so oh, I, yeah, I don't, absolutely. He's only 21. Yeah, uh, 22. 22. Yeah, he just turned 22, 22 yeah. <laughs> right. Happy birthday. Let's Happy sing. birthday, yeah. <laughs> Belated birthday. Well, he, he's not the, um, the only good uh, uh, performer uh, over the weekend. Uh, we talked about him. Uh, he scored a cracking goal uh, two weekends ago, and now he's uh, done it again. Roberto Firmino. Just how good is this guy? Yeah, fantastic. Amazing player, amazing player. Um, it's just the intelligence, isn't it? The, the constant, the perpetual motion plus his intelligence, you know, and, and he's got that skill level as well. And it's just an incredible sort of combination, isn't it? Yeah, uh, you see a lot of um, interesting comparisons coming out of the woodwork right now on the back of um, two really good performances and people saying that, oh, he's as good as Luis Suarez and all these kinds of rubbish, you know. Um, I'm, I'm not so sure about that. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah. For me, for, for, I mean, I for me the biggest finished. problem... Sorry, sorry, there. For me, the biggest okay. problem with Firmino is that he misses too many chances that he should bury. Mm. Everything else in his game is fantastic. His movement, his work rate, his creation, his uh, assist, everything like that. I just feel he's missed too many opportunities that a world-class player would have taken, like a Suarez, like a Messi, like a Neymar. And that's again, yeah. Another, yeah. that's again another thing that's to be expected of a player who has been transferred from midfield to, to a, a striker's role. Yeah, I think exactly. Will, Spot on. If, if uh, Klopp persists, persists with him as the center forward, he will get better. But actually, I think I think he'll probably go back to, to a number 10 role or something like that for next season. It all depends on, on the system Klopp decides to employ next season. He's already improving. 
He's he's getting used to that, and I, you've seen that with with James Milner. He's he's fucking great at taking penalties, <laughs> but scoring from from open play, Milner was simply he simply wasn't used to that. If you if you have the the chance to do that twice or thrice a game, you will start to take these chances quickly. But uh, Milner simply doesn't have this chance, and and Firmino is still not used to that. I think yeah, that's he doesn't need much of an improvement. A little, that. a small improvement, and he a small improvement, and he's going to hit kind of uh, pretty, pretty prime levels of uh, contribution. It's not a big step, I don't think. And I think the thing with the the Suarez comparisons as well is that I think people forget about when Suarez first arrived. He arrived in that January transfer window in, in 2011, and I think for his first season and a half, while he was. He had those same traits that Firmino had. He was very energetic. He was very good on the ball. He had great dribbling and he was always, you know, creating chances for the team. His finishing as actually, I mean, it was good Mm -hmm. and it was what you expected from a striker, but he wasn't the deadly player that he was now, you know, where he puts away almost every chance that he gets and he scores these brilliant goals week in, week out. And I think if we give Firmino the time that we gave Suarez, who sort of only became a talismanic striker in his last two years at the club, then I think, like we were saying earlier about playing him at centre-forward consistently and giving him those chances week in, week out to to keep on scoring goals, then I think he will only get better. And while I'm not sure he will reach that that sort of legendary status that Suarez did, I think he could get pretty close, given the chance. Yeah, he's, um, he's improved on a season-to-season uh, basis as well. Um, just looking at some uh, numbers here. Uh, Joe, let me let me let yeah. me add something yeah. um, from the from the Dortmund perspective. Uh, I mean, you you all know about how much is Aubameyang worth and um, Lewandowski and Götze, but how many chances have they missed? Yeah, I can tell you about that because I I, I mean I've been I, I had been following Dortmund for a couple of years, and it was just unbelievable. I mean, D- Dortmund in the best days of Klopp, they created 10, 100 percent chances per game, and took probably 20, 30 percent of them if they were really good uh, on the day, and um, <clears throat> that also accounts especially for Lewandowski and and now then Aubameyang later on, um, they missed a lot of chances before taking one, and Firmino finally finally. He scored, yeah. We're not we're not talking about missed opportunities and lost games or dropped points. Yeah, we're talking about games he won for us. In fact, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, okay, just quick updates. I'm seeing a lot of uh, Skype messages popping up. Um, so Leicester are out of the Champions League. Yeah, um, they've lost. Uh, well, they've drawn this game against uh, Madrid, but are out on an aggregate score of 2-1, to one, favoring uh, Atletico. Uh, and the Bayern, uh, Madrid-Bayern Munich game is currently still on. Aggregate score is tied at 3-3. Three, three. Um, Vidal has been sent off. But, okay, yeah. So that's yeah. an interesting one. Still, Well, the Leicester result is good for Liverpool, isn't it? Because it yeah. means that we could now finish fourth and we definitely get Champions League. Because yeah. previously, if Leicester had won Champions League, Man U had won Europa, then the fourth place in the Premier League wouldn't have got Champions League. So yeah. it's a monkey off our back. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Another one. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so we, are, we just have to do what we... Chinese, Chinese burn for anyone who thought Leicester was going to win the Champions League. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. Um, as Vez touched on, you know, everyone kept writing uh, Leicester off last season and, um, you know, they went on to achieve something that's uh, quite unique in all of... All of sport, really. 
So yeah, uh, nobody gave them a chance. But here they here they were, uh, here they were up to the you know final stage of the Champions League. And uh, but yeah, pity for them. But hey, I'm I'm not shedding a tear tonight for them. <laughs> um, just looking as I was in uh, mid sentence there, uh, just looking at uh, Firmino's uh, stats uh, this season, last season, and his final season at Hoffenheim. Uh, in at Hoffenheim, he scored ten goals and he had twelve assists. Okay, uh, he played a total of thirty-six games, and in his first season in Liverpool, he had eleven assists, eleven goals, and he had forty-nine games. And look at this: this season, he has ten assists, twelve goals, and uh, thirty-seven <coughs> games. So. It's all a bit samey, samey. He's he's hit he's hit the same numbers now for uh, the past uh, few seasons. Of course, this season is not over, so uh, this could, in all event eventuality, uh, be his best season if you look at it from a three season, four season perspective. Well, hold on. I also read somewhere. I don't know if it's true, but I also read somewhere that in his last season at Hoffenheim, uh, he was second in Europe. Yeah. In in the number of interceptions in the attacking third. Yeah. Which is basically tells you all you need to know why he is your typical, typical club player. Yeah, and, and, and Hoffenheim was a mid-table team at best. I mean, we have to take this into consideration, I think. Yeah. yeah. But also, also, that's not a role that many forwards take on and play. Not many forwards play that style, do they? No. Now, the thing here is, um, his best season at Hoffenheim was in 13-14, season 13-14. And those are the kind of numbers, that, uh, the, the numbers that he posted up in that season for Hoffenheim are the numbers that we want now. Okay, uh, In that season, he had 16 assists and 22 goals in about roughly the same number of games, about 37 games. Um, and if you look at the positions, position, uh, relative position that he played, for much of that season was as a attacking uh, midfielder rather than a, as a centre forward or in some games uh, as a left winger or a right winger uh, uh, for us. Uh, I guess in those games uh, probably either um, uh, Divock or Sturridge uh, was involved in those. So he's posting up similarish numbers um, uh, on, on, the lower, on the lower end uh, coming up from the tail end of his time at Hoffenheim while playing in a new position. Gosh, that was a mouthful to say, but yeah. <laughs> so if we can... So I'm not, I'm not sure uh, if, you know, if his numbers are going to be improved um, if he goes back to, you know, uh, as, as an attacking midfielder role. It seems like even for Brazil, um, he, he's playing as a centre-forward, Right. Yeah, I think he plays. He's not their first choice centre forward, is he? Yeah, but now he is since his Gabriel Jesus is injured. Yeah, he will go back to that. Uh, he will go back to that. Uh, I would like to see how f- effective Firmino is if we have a lone striker in Origi up front and our current front three just sitting behind him, uh, with two two midfielders behind them. Uh, it'll, that would be an interesting move to see see how they would re, uh, cope with that and that movement as well. Yeah, I'd like to yeah, see that. Yeah, change of formation. 
Yeah. And I'm wondering if Klopp will change formation in the uh, off-season and, and work on a, a few different angles to take on, say, the bottom half teams. Obviously, this 4-3-3 works against the top, the top half of the table very well. Uh, teams that want to play football, we seem to be able to carve them apart with this formation. Mm-hmm. But the more stubborn teams, maybe he has to be a little bit more aggressive with uh, with somebody physical up front like Origi and have our three main uh, players, attacking players in behind him creating havoc uh, and, and forego one sort of holding midfielder and only have two. Yeah, yeah I mean, in that vein, Paulinho for Brazil was causing havoc with Firmino as the centre-forward. Um, because he's, he's he's basically playing a number ten, and he's playing he was playing behind for me now, um, but he was getting all the goals and everything. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm I'm not sure I'm not sure about Klopp reverting to that formation simply because I, I'm not I'm not convinced we've got the midfield pair to play that 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 role. Well, Firmino needs uh, Coutinho in order to be effective. Is that a fair statement? Oh yeah, definitely. You think so? Yeah, well, I think they just, they complement each other very well. And we've seen, I mean, this season when Coutinho got injured, it wasn't until he returned from injury that uh, Firmino really found his form again. And I think some of that is down to the fact that obviously Firmino was being played out of position. He was being put on the left wing where he isn't as effective. And obviously this season he has been at his best when playing in that sort of false nine centre forward role. But I think a lot of it does come down to the way they complement each other. Obviously, they've got that good relationship off the pitch as well, which I think helps. Yeah. chemistry-wise, that they're both good friends. But yeah, I think definitely having those two playing together, not just on the pitch together, but also right next to each other. Because yeah. I think it's important to have Firmino in the centre and not on the right wing so they can actually link up with each other. I think definitely improves both of their games. Well, I'm for any option that keeps Coutinho as far away as possible from Neymar. Um, <laughs> hopefully <laughs> hopefully for Firmino and Coutinho visit more tattoo parlours together and play more table tennis uh, just, just get that. It has to be said. It has to be said that uh, Klopp's found uh, putting him on the right actually works a lot better than putting him on the left. Yeah. Um, which I think is very interesting, isn't it? It's just how some players fall, isn't it? They they're just happier on one side than the other. Yeah. And even though he still moves about a lot, that you know that's really been the best Mane replacement we've had with him on the right. Okay. 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 So just going to change topic here. Um, are we ready? to say that we no longer need to look for another goalkeeper. We already have the goalkeepers that we need and deserve. I'll agree with that. I cannot see us getting another keeper uh, this season. The only way we're going to get another keeper is if Karios takes a big step up and becomes number one and Mignolet wants to leave. At this stage, I think we've got Mignolet's playing really good uh, uh, football at this stage and deserves his number one spot. I think Karius looked the business pre-season, then got injured and then became hesitant with the, with the physicality of the Prem. He will learn from that and I think he'll be challenging Mignolet quite strongly next year. And I think it'll only be when Karius supersedes Mignolet into the number one spot Will you see Mignolet wanting to leave? Then we might look for somebody else. But at this stage, nowhere near a priority. I think we've got two great keepers with great potential. Uh, Mignolet's got uh, the, 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 the stability now and the confidence. 
so uh, long may it continue. Um, let me just qualify this a little bit. What I'm trying to do is to drop that word priority from from the whole discussion. I know Vez said that um, you know you keep an eye out if, uh, if, a, if a so-called higher quality goalkeeper becomes available, we could go for him, like uh, Jan Oblak. We mentioned this several times in a couple of other shows. What I'm trying to get at what here is we should be dropping this. Um, open eye towards someone else uh, open uh, you know not even using the word priority anymore it's like it's not even an option we already have uh, the goalkeepers uh, that we need in Mignolet and uh, Karius and, and both of them uh, duke it out you know and, and, spur, and really more importantly spurring each other on to be the best goalkeeper that they can be for, for Liverpool it becomes less of an issue between them next season. I think it becomes less of an issue because with the number of games we'll have, they'll be able to play both. They'll both be able to get plenty of games. Yeah. So it's not like this year where there's definitely a one and the other one doesn't really get a lot. Um, and I think next year he'll be able to sort of play one through Europe and, and the other th- uh, through the league and uh, do something with the Cups. Um, I just don't think the I just don't think the club will work that way. You know, if an old black comes available, I don't think they'll go and buy him. I think they plan everything ahead. They get the person all they want, and then they go. They work with it, and they kind of switch off from the transfer thing in, um, if they haven't planned it from the outset. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, it's like with the the Griezmann situation at the moment is that as much as as you'd want him at Liverpool, he's very suddenly become available, and it's all the other clubs in the Premier League who've jumped on it, and we haven't really heard Liverpool mentioned in that conversation. I think that is because it's more that he's suddenly become available rather than we've thought right, we need a player like this. So we're going to look for one and then we're going to buy them, not when they're available, but when it suits us. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the kind of strategy that I think we should pursue going forward. And it's similar, like you said, with the goalkeeper situation that, you know, we've got our we've got our situation, our plan that works. We like having Mignolet and Carrius, as you said, duking it out for top spot. And it seems to be working at the moment. So even <coughs> if better players do become available, if it disturbs our method of working then i just don't think we're going to go for it and i think personally that's the right way to do things yeah yeah i I uh, just want to to add something here about Griezmann. that that thing you said uh will about uh, us not being in that story uh i think also uh, the fact is that the media don't see us as uh, a club that will compete with the likes of Manchester City or Chelsea or even Manchester United when it comes to uh, staking high bids. Yeah, I suppose James Rodriguez probably would have been a better example in that case because he is one who who has been linked with Liverpool but never been. it's never been a rumour that's really, I think, been taken seriously by Liverpool fans because it's not really... It doesn't seem like it's Klopp's style, so we yeah. can't really see it happening. But, on the other hand, there's much talk now about the club being ready to spend a lot. So whether we are in that category or not, we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, as for the goalkeepers, uh, I think we need to look at the the things that have been happening throughout the whole season. Uh, like Keith said, uh, Karius was very good in preseason, then he got injured. And then Mignolet was great at the beginning of the season. But then Karius recovered, uh, Klopp gave him a chance ahead of Mignolet, uh, he had a hard time, uh, then he brought back Mignolet on and then Mignolet had a hard time and we were talking about not just us here but 
uh, everybody talking about football was talking about Liverpool still not having a proper goalkeeper. <laughs> and now suddenly Mignolet is back on, on very good form and he, he has really been outstanding. There's no, no questioning that. And uh, I'm just not sure that, that we are all that set with the pair of them. Uh, and yeah. I, I somehow have this, this nagging feeling in the back of my head that we will again enter a period when, when, when we will grab our heads and, oh, come on, give us a goalkeeper. Well, yeah, my, so, my main worry with it is that Mignolet's form has sort of, it has yo-yoed a little bit in the past few years. I mean, I remember when he was sort of at his worst in the 2014-15 season, back when we had Brendan Rodgers, it sort of yeah. got to a point where it, everyone acknowledged that something had to be addressed about it. And Brendan Rodgers tried dropping him and bringing other goalkeepers and it didn't really work. And then suddenly Mignolet hit this really, really good run of form and he started to look like a completely different goalkeeper. And we sort of thought, you know, that our goalkeeping problems solved, that Mignolet's come good after all. And then all over again, he suddenly spiralled down in terms of form again last season. He's picked up again this season. So my main worry is whether, is this a permanent change this time for Mignolet and is this how he's going to play for the rest of his career at Liverpool or are we going to see him sort of move up and down and be inconsistent like he has in the past $4,000 question yeah <laughs> there is a positive take from, from, from his upturn in form when you look at his goalkeeping now uh, this this coming out and punching the ball and clearing the box and uh, just being able to, to deal with those crosses is something new, I think. Something he, has, he wasn't doing even when he was on good form earlier in, in, in previous seasons. And this is something that may give us a sign of something, something better for, for the next few seasons. Yeah, yeah the, Klopp, I, the Klopp, plus, uh, Klopp plus Akterberg, seem, uh, Klopp's team plus Akterberg, seems to be having a more positive effect than uh, the Brendan Rodgers team plus Axelberg. Yeah. But yeah. in fact, um, if we go back in time, uh, three quarters of a year, to the start of the season, we have realized that Mignolet all of a sudden was better. Okay, there was a competition effect, and competition always improves the players, but also the whole team played better and all, all of a sudden seemed to challenge for the title instead of uh, struggling which was still, I think, uh, the, main, uh, the main situation in 1415. Uh, and uh, so, in fact, it was Mignolet's confidence was lifted along with the team's confidence. Yeah. So maybe we did, we did not really have a goalkeeper issue. We had a confidence issue in the whole team. And you all know from your football experience how much there is an there is a, um, influence both ways with the defense midfield and then defense look, looks not solid and the, it, 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 it contaminates the goalkeeper yeah being less confident all of a sudden all those howlers creep in yeah with the, with the uncertainty and uh, of course the, the goalkeeper's mistakes leading to goals yeah and all of a sudden we, we thought we still have a goalkeeping problem and when you lay out and all, all, of us, all that stuff I think Maybe we didn't even have a goalkeeper problem. We did. We did have a confidence problem with the whole team, or a centre back problem. I remember the yeah, massive love. I think that's, that's, that's left has done was really well, that, hasn't yeah. it? So, how much of this confidence uh, has now come back because he's got better defenders in front of him? Yeah, much and, and another 
And another point about that is uh, with the West Brom game, yeah. were we going to play three at the back and then Clavin got injured? Because uh, well, I, 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 really, I really didn't like that three at the back. Uh, I don't think our CVs are very good at it. But um, I just wonder if that was the plan originally and it had to be changed. I don't think it was, actually. Uh, no, I don't either. I think he I, experimented it against Stoke and, and chucked it. Yeah, I saw a tweet uh, from James Pierce where he assumed that... Uh, because Klavan got injured and Lukas was coming in that we were still going to play the back three. And let's look at it realistic. It was an option with, with Lukas in the team. So still, we, we didn't. We stuck. We went back to the back four and, and Lukas played in midfield and it was all good. I think, I think that's what Klopp had planned. Yeah, it could be. Although you couldn't really put Lucas in as the middle centre back, um, no. you know, yeah, like it didn't quite, it didn't quite really. work. So I, I just, it, I don't know how it would have worked. But I was quite pleased we didn't, we didn't uh, do it anyway in the end. Okay, so yeah. uh, score update first and foremost. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo has just scored for Real Madrid. Aggregate Ooh. score is now four three. <laughs> Real. Okay, now the thing here is um, uh, after this game, uh, you get comments from uh, Jamie Carragher as well as Aldo um, saying that he's really improved. And um, I kind of take issue with that because it's um, he's actually, Simon Mignolet has been, actually been good this whole season. Yes, he's made, he's had the mistakes. I mean, which goalkeeper doesn't make mistakes? So he's not immune to not making mistakes. But I think he's been uh, good. For the whole season, I think Vez, you would agree with that as well, and you've pointed that out um, uh, as well. Uh, but I think most importantly, he's um, he's either keeping us in games or he's ensuring that we, you know, secure the three points as that last line of defence, keeping the ball out from the net. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So what I've done is um, I've just done a squawker uh, comparison matrix. And I've lined up uh, Simon Mignolet with the other uh, goalkeepers uh, from the, the teams uh, in, an, in and around us, as well as below us. So in the first, um, in the first sheet, I've got uh, Mignolet, uh, and I've pitted him against uh, Courtois, uh, Hugo Lloris, Claudio Bravo, as well as uh, De Gea. Okay. And um, obviously, from a clean sheet uh, perspective, Linda Pazuti and her clean sheets, but uh, from a clean sheet perspective, uh, yeah, he's he's got the lowest number of clean sheets. He's got five. Okay, uh, the guys have done really well. Uh, his uh, Courtois and oh, I can't uh, think straight now. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think straight. Now. <laughs> um, he's conceded the most number of goals. Actually, twenty-eight goals. Um, Loris, uh, to be honest, when I looked at this, okay, Loris has had a stellar season fantastic season he has he's, he's finished top in most of the comparison uh, matrix uh, here but uh, if you look at these uh, if you look at uh, Mignolet's stats compared to these keepers um, he's in and around there in terms of uh, performance not the best I would say uh, I would say maybe out of these six he's probably fifth or maybe even sixth um, so he's he's there. Um, what he's done really well, though, uh, and 
is in terms of punches. He has 17 punches. And he's, he's, he did a bit of that um, against uh, West Bromwich as well. Um, clearing, clearing the ball when, uh, you know, in the defensive area and, 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 and uh, with, a, with, a, with a big punch out of the, um, you know, the ball out of danger, dangerous situations. So then what I've done is I've done a second sheet and I've compared him with um, the keepers that are below us. So that's uh, uh, Czech, uh, Robles, Ben Foster, as well as Fraser Foster. Okay. And suddenly, um, the picture changes a little bit, and um, instead of being sixth or fifth, okay, he's, he's finished first or second amongst these guys. Okay? Um, so it shows that actually he belongs um, in that top five, top six category of um, Mignolet, uh, you know, in the goalkeepers in the Premier League. I, I didn't bring in other players outside of the league because it's a different uh, kettle of fish, but uh, it shows that he he belongs in this uh, top. But Joe, uh, he's, he's he's got to do it. He's got to do it for another season, hasn't he? Yeah, of course. You yeah. know, he's been a lot. This has been a long time coming. This, and uh, yeah. he's got to show it again. I mean, he, I'm quite happy with him punching. You know, there's certainly balls that he could catch, which he doesn't, and uh, mm. I'm not too unhappy about that. Mm. But he's just got to do it for a lot longer. You know, this is is this his fourth year here. Yeah, that's right, actually, yeah. Oh, I mean, that's just mad. Just, it's taken him four years to, to, to put in a good stint. If I'm not mistaken, the travelling cop started singing his name. Okay. And that is huge. Well, yeah, they're just that is wrong. absolutely they're just, huge. Yeah, they're just in the West, West Brom game after his, his important save <laughs> uh, in the, in the uh, 72nd minute or 73rd minute. That was, uh, I, I, as far as I remember, the traveling cop started singing his name, and that is huge for this young man, and is very important for his confidence, um, because I think that it has haunted him, yeah, all the time, at least as 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 long as Klopp is with the, with the club, um, always this mini layout, mini layout. It was so damaging to his self confidence, and and he he especially as a goal, as a goalkeeper, he needs that desperately. Yeah, the groans and the sighs in the in oh. the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> like that, yeah. <laughs> hey, what's your what's your perspective on goalkeepers punching rather than catching? Well, I think if they're not sure of, of catching the ball, punching is always a better idea. I mean, you don't want a goalkeeper to try and catch it and drop it. Exactly We've right. seen what happened to, to Bogdan several times. So, <laughs> yeah, if you're not, I mean, yeah, a lot of. It's more the European way, isn't it? The European goalkeepers, they like to punch, not catch. Catching is always around the English keepers. So I think uh, it's uh, it's a safer option. It's It's a safer option to punch it and get it way way away from the the goals. It's true that because, I mean, um, coming back to this uh, comparison matrix uh, with six, no, uh, seven... Keepers that I've uh, compared, not seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Uh, ben Foster, okay, the, the keeper that we just faced, um, comes out miles and miles ahead in terms of catches, 107. Everyone else is below 70. And this guy is uh, caught 107 times. But his punch, punch ratio is uh, um, way lower. Than, uh, than anyone else. Is this, uh, do you think this is per- perhaps one of those things that uh, Ekterberg, um, it's an Ekterberg thing? Catch? Punch more than catch? 
Or no, I think it's probably just because he, he's been, been such a liability. You know, let's keep it simple. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think when it comes down to, to Foster, I think uh, those tall, strong centre-backs also make a difference in, in those situations. When, when the ball comes in and they just shield the space for him to be sure with the ball. Yeah, definitely. I think our next step up is going to be about defenders, not about um, not about uh, the keepers so much. It's going to be about getting a stable partnership, hopefully buying a, a centre-back that will partner Matic and having that stability and, um, you know, I don't know, perhaps a full-back that's quite effective. I think that's where the improvement has to come from yeah. now. Yeah. That'll give him a platform and some confidence. Okay, um, we're going to move on to our, to the next player that um, to focus on. But um, once again, the score update: Cristiano Ronaldo has scored again, <laughs> and uh, so I think this game is now over. So it's five three at the Bernabeu. Okay, do you think Lucas Lever deserves another contract extension? But do you think he has a LFC future beyond the end of this season? Uh, by the way, he has more assists now than Mkhitaryan, William, Sane, Musa Dembele, and Aaron, Aaron Ramsey. Well done, Lucas Lever. Um, he's a great personality. I think he, I think probably he's a he's a fantastic person to have in the in the dressing room as well. He's he's just a great all round guy. He's an honorary scouser as well. Um, what do you think? Do you think? Do you think? Um, he should, he should have a, another year or so at uh, LFC, and is this more for sentimentality purposes rather than based on actual ability or what he brings on the pitch? I, I don't think it's it's such, so uh, so much uh, the matter of uh, whether he deserves to. Uh, I think it's more uh, do the club need him? Do, does club need him? And uh, I believe he does. Okay. Uh, he is uh, versatile, he can play in several positions, and uh, we are going to play Europe next season, so having a player that is willing to sit on the bench to help the team in any way he can, and as you said, he's, he's a great guy in the dressing room and whatnot, uh, it can only be a good thing. Okay, so Ves, you think that uh, he should stay, right? He should be... Uh, Liverpool I think he should be offered yeah. a, a, a new contract. Okay, Christian, what do you think? Yeah, the, the problem is that he is in a, a, a bit of a transition phase. Um, he is best in, in defensive midfield, and he's very good at that. He has just proved that with the whole team finding more composure and uh, finding its way to to to, uh, to play together. Um, he has improved a lot, and he has, in fact, um, yeah. He's part of the success and part of the of the lift in terms of confidence and performance all around. And the problem is with him that when you go up to the to, to the heights of the top European clubs, he will struggle to um, to keep that to play at that level, to perform there. And um, uh, I think Klopp has difficulties to find a, a, a very very good top-level defensive midfielder, some, someone like Gundogan, which Dahoud could play in that role, for example. And um, 
So Lucas might be might might get offered a, a new contract for say two years, but no more. But Lucas, of course, he wants to play. And so this is a bit of a struggle, and and Klopp, Klopp has to make his decision on that. From my personal feeling, I think Klopp will will struggle to get all the guys together he wants, and in this in this case, it's better to rely on his on the the overall composure on his on on Lucas um, confidence both and experience within the team, and also with his add-on um, say, yeah, positive emotional influence on the other Brazilians. Yeah. So let's keep let's keep him. Okay, that you you've um, just said something that I wanted to mention uh, when I posed the same question to Keith. Do you think he's more a strategic um, person to keep around? He's, he's the glue that keeps the, the Brazilians to, together. Other than what he's able Look, to do on the pitch. So what do you think? Look, I've been a huge Lucas fan when he was getting the flack when he first joined us, he was compared to Alonso, Mascherano and Gerard, which was so unfair for a 21-year-old. I thought the guy had great skill. I thought he had a great vision and everything like that. And I think he was made a scapegoat by certain sections of the fan base, which is really unfair. I don't know whether it was Shankly or Paisley. I don't know whether it was Shankly or Paisley when he said about Emlyn Hughes. Um, he says... Uh, his Liverpool career might be finished, but it doesn't mean his footballing career is finished. And I think Lucas is that, at that stage in his career. I think we need an upgrade. He's lost some speed. Yes, he's an influence. Yes, he's a calming influence. Yes, he offers a lot to the team. However, I think if we want to start challenging, and if we bring in somebody like Cato, I don't see Lucas getting much game time, especially if we bring in Brannigan back, especially if we want to give game time to Egerio, uh, Pedro, and all those youngsters coming through. Uh, I think I can see Lucas going to Turkey, uh, as it's been rumoured, for, for two million um, and getting more game time there. I think he deserves more game time. He's been a great servant for Liverpool. But I, I, I feel his Liverpool career has now come to an end um, and, uh, and it's time for him to move on and it's time for us to bring in younger, faster, more aggressive uh, midfielders that can take over his role. When we've got Chan, we've got Henderson, we've got Vinaldum, bringing in uh, back Brannigan and all these youngsters that we've spoken about, plus one or two, whether it's Dahu, whether it's Kato, I think he's going to struggle to get game time. So I'd be surprised if he's here next year. Okay, so we have uh, two saying yes, uh, we should keep him. Uh, one saying no, thumbs down. We, sh uh, we should uh, get an upgrade. Uh, Will, what do you think? I'm a little bit torn on it because I think there is that sentimental side to it. And obviously you said about the fact that he is a, a calming influence in the dressing room. He's obviously good for bringing in players. I think with the fact that he's Brazilian, I think with players like Coutinho and Firmino, I think they're enough in terms of giving us pulling power over maybe signing other Brazilian players simply because, you know, if you're a young Brazilian player you're thinking more about playing with Felipe Coutinho than you are playing with Lucas Leiva. You know, no disrespect to Lucas, he is a fantastic player, but Felipe Coutinho is is a big star at the moment. And as much as I would want to keep him, and I think his influence is important, and he is obviously, he's shown this season how good of a utility player he is. And a lot of people who say that maybe he isn't that important to the side, you know, with Henderson and Lalana being injured, he's been absolutely massive for us in being that player that we can rely on to play defensive midfield. But, 
going on to next season, even though we have Europe, I think we are going to look to improve in that area and also bring in some younger players that Jurgen Klopp can work with and get them more suited to his style of play. And while I'd like to keep Lucas, I don't think he'll stay because he has been very honest about it and said that he, he'd, he'd love to stay at Liverpool, but he needs to consider himself and needs to consider the amount of game time that he wants to be getting at this stage in his career because he is still only about 30 years old. So he has got a lot of years ahead of him when he could carry on playing. So I would like to see him stay, but I don't realistically see him doing so. So it's a yes from you then? It's a yes that I want him to stay, yeah. but a no that I don't think he, he will stay. stay. Okay. And yeah. mental? Uh, I, think, I think we need to be um, getting someone else in. We need to not be relying on Lucas. Okay. That's the problem. These last two games, he's been absolutely fantastic. And, uh, you know, we, we, um, we really rely on him for the West Brom Stoke-type games. Um, he's perfect for that. Yeah. But, um, you know, he's not, he's not especially durable, really. He's great during a game, but he does have muscular problems and he's only getting older. Um, but really, we shouldn't be relying on Lucas. You know, it's a bit of, a, it's a bit of an indictment on on our midfield purchasing <clears throat> strategy that we still have to rely on him, really. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, we've got to upgrade. We've got to really have to upgrade. Okay. So it's... it's uh, okay. Right. Fine. Right. Um, not sure how this... Yeah, I'm, I'm leaning towards the sentimentality side of it, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I finally think he, we have to come out of it. <laughs> that, that's where Paisley and Shankly were so good. There were no sentimentality from their perspective. When they thought they needed to move a player on, doesn't care what reputation, what they've done for Liverpool in the past, they moved him on and got an upgrade. And I think Klopp needs to do the same. And as much as I love Lucas, and I've always defended Lucas, and sentimentality says, yes, keep him, we need to move on. He needs to move on for himself personally, but we need an upgrade. Yeah, I think um, my sentimentality is, is, is more tinged towards um, the experience that he has. Um, I mean, uh, keeping all fingers crossed and we qualify for Europe, um, increasingly looking likely that we will, um, not having his experience um, in the team. Uh, I mean, we've got a lot of youngsters um, you know, coming through as well. Uh, of course, some of them have played, uh, not the youngsters, but some of the senior players, of course, have played European football. Uh, some of them haven't. I'm not so sure, but at least the young, younger players haven't, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's where I see, okay, uh, do we want to be losing that experience at a crucial time when we are on the cusp of joining the European elites uh, again. And that's where, that's where my sentimentality is um, in. Of course, when it comes to squad depth, that's, I think, something that Klopp will address in the summer. Um, if squad depth is no longer a problem, um, I don't think Lucas is going to have any joy in uh, getting any more games that he's gotten uh, the, this season. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. So that's that's uh, that's that's where we are on on this topic. So, okay, guys, it, it was a good chat um, uh, previewing this game and talking about uh, all the other players, uh, and we will be right back to talk about the upcoming games, not just uh, the Palace game, but we'll look at the uh, 
closing games that we have to play. Five more games we have to play. Palace, Watford, Southampton, West Ham and Borough. And we will also catch up on some of the rumours and uh, news that has been surrounding the club. So yeah, stick around and uh, we'll be right back.